0: Let's pray, Heavenly Father, God. We are so grateful for Your Son Jesus Christ that His blood was poured out for us, Lord. That You did bear our sins on the cross, Lord. We ask that as we come now to a time of worship through the study of Your Word, that You would continue speaking through us, uh, to us, through the study of Your Word. Lord, we ask that for just a few moments we'd be able to set aside all the things that are taking place in the world around us whether it's homework that's waiting for us when we get home the jobs that we have to go to tomorrow the dishes in the sink whatever it is father i pray that we would be able to set that aside and that your word would speak to us that we would be able to listen that we'd be able to hear and that our lives would be changed because we have been here this morning together in your presence we pray this in christ's name Amen. Maybe may be seated. This morning, I want to ask you, if, you have, uh, if you've ever felt like everything was going against you. Like everything and everyone in your life was working against you in some way. That maybe as you think about where you were born, the family you were born into, that in some way that that is, is holding you back. Or you look at culture and society, and you think about all the things going around, you, around on around you, and you think, you know what, culture and society are, are keeping me from moving forward. Maybe it's even the people around you, that you feel like the people around you are against you, that they're working against you. Perhaps even the people of God, the church, there's a moment where you feel like they're against me. And you know for a fact that Satan is against you and you can feel the enemy working against you and perhaps your circumstances are so dire that for a moment you may even feel and believe that God is working against you. Anybody ever been there? You've ever felt that before? It's in moments like these that our faith is either developed or destroyed. It's in moments like that when it feels like everything is working against us, when we feel like we're being held back and we're tempted to even believe that perhaps God is working against us, that our faith is either developed or destroyed. And I believe the difference between allowing our faith to be developed or watching it be destroyed hinges on persistence by faith, specifically our persistent pursuit of Jesus Christ. And if we continue to pursue him persistently by faith. I believe our, fa- our faith becomes developed, whereas if we just sit and we allow ourselves to, to become the victim and we view ourselves as the victim, then our faith is not developed, but instead it's destroyed. And we just begin to, to become the victim and we give up. And this morning... Uh, We're going to be starting a series. We're going to be looking at Mark 7 and Matthew 15. We're going to be combining these two accounts of one woman's stories. Uh, This woman is coming from a background that her culture is working against her, society is against her, the devil is against her, the disciples are against her, and it appears that even for a moment that Jesus himself is against her. Yet she, in faith, continually uh, persists after Jesus and she pursues him by faith. And so this morning, we're going to watch as her faith is developed and drawn out, and it reaches a point of maturity. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 24, Uh, but before we get to the text, I want to give you a little bit of background uh, of some things that are taking place here that have already taken place in Jesus' life and ministry. Now Jesus has been doing ministry for some time now, it's kind of in the middle towards the end of his ministry of of three years, and his cousin, John the Baptist, who is the forerunner, who is the one who was sent to proclaim that the Messiah was coming, he was the last of the Old Testament prophets who proclaimed that the kingdom of God is near. He, John the Baptist, has already been arrested, thrown in jail by Herod Antipas, and he's been beheaded. Jesus' cousin has been beheaded. And shortly after that, we read that Jesus has fed the 5,000. And we read from John's account that the people now want to make Jesus king. So you've got Herod Antipas, who's kind of probably looking at this and, and thinking that, hey, here's this guy. I got rid of John the Baptist who was causing me trouble. Now they want to make this other guy king in my place. And so he's got Herod Antipas that's kind of coming after him and, and he's thinking, you know what, I, I kind of need a little bit of a break. Not only that, he's, he's uh, just encountered the Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes and he's had a run-in with them where he's tried to get them to see that, hey, you're, you're broken down religion that you're trying to keep, all these rules that you're trying to keep and that you're imposing on other people, that's not going to save you. So he's had this major encounter with them, and he's been doing ministry for quite some time. He's got, he's got people after him, and, and he just wants some peace and quiet with his disciples. Uh, parents, you guys can relate to this, right? You know how it is. Mom, 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 mom. Mom, can I have a snack? Mom, can I go outside and play? Mom, can I watch TV? Mom, can I watch? Right, parents, you understand this, and so what? What do we do, parents? We lock ourselves in the pantry or in the bathroom, and we're like, "Dear Lord, I just need five minutes of peace and quiet." But then what happens? This right here, right? (laughs) Mom, Dad, you in there? What are you doing in there? You're like, "I'm on the toilet." And this is where Jesus is. He's like, I just need, he's not running away from anything, he's not afraid of anything, but he just needs some peace and quiet, and he's looking for an opportunity to get away with his disciples and invest in his disciples. And so he, for the first time, and in, in other than when he was a little boy and his family had to flee to Egypt, um, I believe this is the only time that I can remember in his adult ministry, he leaves the borders of Israel. And that's extremely important because we have to remember that Jesus says that he was sent first for the Jew and then for the Gentile, right? And so his ministry is primarily to the people of Israel. He's the Messiah, the Savior of the people of Israel. But for the first time in his ministry, the only time that I can recall, he's going to leave the borders of Israel and he goes on a vacation to this place called Tyre and Sidon that's north. It's kind of where Syria is today. It's along the coast. And he heads up there and he goes for a little bit of vacation. He just needs some peace and quiet. And then this is what we read in Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. He got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre and Sidon. He entered a house and didn't, did not want anyone to know it because he could not escape notice. Rem- remember, he's already fed 5,000 people, right? Word's starting to get around that this guy can do amazing things. So it's hard for him to escape notice. Instead, immediately after hearing him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, Canaanite, and she kept asking him to drive the demon out of her daughter. Now let me stop here and explain a few things. Um, uh, Mark tells us that she's a Greek and a Syrophoenician. So Greek means that this this speaks to her religion, that she's worshiping the Greek pagan gods. It also speaks to her culture, that she speaks Greek. She lives like a Greek person, but she's also Syrophoenician by birth, which means that she was born in that same area where Jesus is. Now, Matthew chapter 15 records this same account, and Matthew points out that she is a Canaanite. Now, Canaanite and Syrophoenician somewhat mean the same thing, but Think all the way back, 1400 years, back to when Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt. Right? Who possesses the promised land at that time? The Canaanites. And God tells them to go in and completely wipe out and drive out the Canaanites, and they don't do it. And so for 1,400 years, the Israelites and the Canaanites butt heads, right? And they're up against each other. These are their mortal enemies. Now, it was bad enough. um, If you were a Jewish person, you would wake up every single day, especially the men. They would wake up every single day and thank God, number one, that I was not born a Gentile, but I was born Jewish. And then they would thank God, number two, that I was not born a woman, because both of these things uh, were kind of less than in their sight but to, to not only be Gentile but a Canaanite let me put it in terms that perhaps we can understand how many people from Texas here anybody born here raised here all right good you guys will get this the rest of you you might get this all right so if you were born and raised in Texas you know what it's like to meet someone not from Texas and you're like oh I feel so sorry for you like you're not from Texas you're not one of the chosen ones right uh, but then you meet someone from Oklahoma, and you're like, oh, man, you better get across that Red River fast. Like, you got to get out of here now. There's not room in this state for the two of us. Uh, it's kind of like that, right? So there's, there's people born outside of Texas, and then there's people from Oklahoma, right? They just don't mix. Um, they probably are very likely, you ask for Dr. Pepper, and they're the kind of people that say, we have Mr. Pip." and you're like, oh, hmm." You're just going to have to leave right now. So that's the tension that we're dealing with here. She's got her culture. She's got all this stuff working against her uh, because Jesus is Jewish and his ministry is primarily to the Jews. And so she comes to Jesus and she asks him for a miracle because her daughter has a demon. Her daughter is demon possessed. And I love uh, Matthew's account. Now, the reason we have two different accounts is Mark's writing primarily to a Gentile audience. So some of the things that Matthew, who's writing to primarily a Jewish audience, includes would not have made much sense to Mark's audience. But I want to combine both of these because I think looking at both accounts, we we get some things that God is doing in this woman's life to develop her faith that are very important. Um, So she kept asking him to drive out the demon out of her daughter. Matthew says she kept crying out to him. She says, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly tormented by a demon. Yet he did not say a word to her. Now I know for some of you this is going to be a little bit of a challenge as we look at this, but I I want you to understand this, that through this whole process, God is developing this woman's faith. He is developing this woman's faith to to help enable her, bring her to a point of maturity. And the first thing that I want us to see is, is it's curious to us that Jesus would remain silent, but I think that persistent faith is tested in silence. Persistent faith is tested by silence. Now it would have been easy for this woman to take Jesus' silence. So oftentimes we do this, right? God is silent to us. We're, we're praying about something and God doesn't speak to us. So what do we do? We either give up and we forget about it, or we get angry and we're like, God, why aren't you answering me? Why aren't you giving me the answer that I want? Or we look for another way to get what we want. But God is doing something here in the silence. And in fact, it the silence encourages this woman all the all the more, uh, and I love this because she recognizes one thing that silence is encouraging. Why do you think the silence would be encouraging to her? What is Jesus not saying if he's silent? He's not saying no, right? You guys know if you if you remember being a little kid, like if mom and dad don't say anything, you're like well that's not a no, like I guess that's permission. And so she hangs out and she continues to pursue Jesus. Now I want to talk about why why would God be silent at times? Um, we know that it's for for testing uh, and for for uh, growing our faith. That we're tested in these times of silence, but there's some other reasons. And I often get this question about, you know, I'm praying, but God's just not answering. I'm not hearing him. It, sound, it feels like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, and I think we've all been there. Let me say first and foremost, I think a lot of times, uh, sometimes we don't receive the answer to our prayer. It's, it's because we have sin in our lives, and Psalm sixty six eighteen 18 tells us this, um, it tells us that if I had been aware of malice, if I'd been aware of sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened, right? So sometimes God's not speaking to us because he's trying to get our attention. He's trying to say, hey, I I want to answer you right now, but we got to deal with this first. And so he remains silent because that gives us an opportunity to say, okay, Lord, what is it that's keeping, uh, keeping me from being able to hear from you? And maybe it's something inside of me. The other thing is, one of our elders pointed this out on, Sunday, on Friday morning as we talked through the, through the message, he said, you know, sometimes I think God's not actually silent, um, but we're just not hearing because he's already given us the answer, right? He's already told us, he's already given us an instruction of what we're supposed to do, and we didn't like it, so we just chose to ignore it, and then we're like, oh, God's not speaking, and he's like, no, I told you what to do, but you just chose not to do it. Uh, but I think there's two other things that I want us to see. And the second, one of those is this, that silence is often for the glory of God. Silence is often for the glory of God. And I think the best example of this is Lazarus. If you remember the story of Lazarus, he's the brother of two of Jesus' closest friends, Mary and Martha. And they send word to Jesus that their brother is sick and that he's about to die. And they want Jesus to come and heal their brother. But then in in John 4, look at what Jesus says. He says this, when Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Let's leave that verse up here because if you're familiar with the rest of the story, you know that Jesus delays. He stays where he is for a couple days, and then he makes his way. And by the time he gets there, Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is dead. And his sister comes to Jesus and says, if only you had been here. My brother would still be alive. Why did you remain silent? Why didn't you come when we call? Jesus has already given the answer, and he says, this sickness will not end in death, but why? Why was Jesus silent? Why did he stay behind? For what? For the glory of God, and why else? So that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Later on, Jesus, as he prays, before he, he commands Lazarus to come out, he says, God, this has happened And I'm here, and I'm praying, and I know that you hear me, but I'm saying these words, why? So that everyone who is here would believe that you sent me. It was for the glory of God that Lazarus be raised from the dead so that people would believe that Jesus was the Son of God. It was his silence that brought God the most glory. And so sometimes God is silent because he's glorified through the silence. The other thing, the last reason... I think Jesus uh, is silence, or God uses silence. It's because he wants to refine our faith. He wants to refine our faith. He's rubbing off the edges, and he's going to see, hey, is this person going to continually and persistently pursue me, or are they going to give up? Because God is is always refining our faith. And, And I love this. It doesn't say that Jesus didn't hear. Right? And that's our, te- that's our temptation is when God doesn't answer us, we think God must not be listening. He must not be hearing us. No, Jesus heard. He just remained silent. He doesn't answer in the timing that, that she would have liked. The Lord often waits to be gracious for us, but He is matching His silence to our maturing faith. He's matching His silence to our maturity. You see, His desire is to prove and to improve the faith of his people. And so when Jesus says nothing to this woman, he is teaching her just as much as when he decrees that the demon should leave. Jesus is testing this woman's faith. He's proving and improving her faith by the silence. Silence was encouraging her because it wasn't a no, but I'm sure for just a moment... It appeared like this silence was just another barrier that she had to overcome, another obstacle in her place. And that's the second thing that I want us to see, is that faith is matured through resistance. Faith is developed and and not destroyed when we face resistance. Now, I, I love this, that she allows these obstacles, all the things that she's having to overcome, she allows them to develop her faith and not destroy it. And I started thinking about that this week, and I started thinking about how resistance, how obstacles can actually make us stronger when we face these things in our own lives. Uh, You may not know this, but science has shown, the study of trees has shown that without wind resistance, the roots of a tree will take the least uh, path of least resistance, and they will grow out. They will grow extremely shallow, but they will never grow down. And what happens is then when the wind finally comes, it may be a big tree. It may have a giant uh, root structure outward, but if the roots do not grow down, what happens to the tree? It falls over. A great example of this was with the biosphere out in, out in Arizona. They, they took this huge tree and they planted it there to provide oxygen in the biosphere and in about a year in, without any uh, wind resistance, the tree just fell over. It just fell on, over under the, its own weight. Why? Because the, the roots had not grown down. They had not grown deep. And so by allowing the wind, by allowing that resistance, it pushes the roots of our faith deeper and deeper. Another illustration would be like going to the gym. right? You go to the gym and you just pick up five-pound dumbbells and you start doing this. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger one day. Yeah, go on, come on, I'm right here. Ah, You got to lift. Ah, I'm going to pump you up. And you're like, I'm going to look like Arnold someday, but it never happens. You find yourself not getting any stronger. Why? Because there's no resistance. You start adding resistance little by little. What happens? The muscles begin to grow. And the same is true with our faith. As we face this resistance, as we face these difficult things, as we overcome these obstacles, our faith becomes stronger and stronger. When we begin to see that with this woman, um, we see, think about all the obstacles that she had to overcome. Her, her race was against her. Certainly as a Gentile, even, even worse, she had it worse as a Canaanite. The fact that, that she was Greek means her culture and religion made it difficult for her to approach a Jewish rabbi. So she's got her, her race, her religion, her culture are against her. The fact that she's a woman. Most Jewish rabbis would not even speak to women that they weren't married to. So she's got that working against her. She's got the disciples working against her. She certainly has Satan working against her. At one point, the disciples say, Jesus, just send her away. Just just get rid of her. And now Jesus won't even speak to her. It looks like she's got Jesus working against her. But all of these things only make her persist even more. It strengthens her faith. It draws her faith out. Let's look at Mark seven. Verse 26, uh, again, it says, Now the Canaanite woman was Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to drive out the demon out of her daughter. Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly tormented by a demon, yet he did not say a word to her. Now why is Jesus not saying a word to her? Uh, We have to view this, this silence, this moment of silence, as part of that resistance, one of those obstacles that God is using to build her faith. And And it's here that, what I love is that her faith needs some maturing, and Jesus recognizes that. Her faith needs a little bit of maturing. You see, she, she calls Jesus by a certain name that was reserved only for the Jews. She calls him Son of David, which I think is a beautiful recognition that she knows that this is the promised Messiah, that this is the Son of God, but there's a problem. She's not Jewish. She doesn't have a right to use the covenant name for the Messiah. And, and what God is doing here is he's trying to, to show this woman something. You see, in her mind, she's thinking, okay, I'm going to come to this Jesus guy. I know who he is. I know what he's supposed to do. But I'm going to approach, approach him through the Jewish lens. I'm going to use the Jewish religion to come to this man. And I think Jesus wants her to learn that, hey, you don't have to become Jewish to approach me. You approach me only by faith. And so he remains silent and says, no, that's not how it works. It's not how it works. You don't have to go through some religion to get to me. It's by faith and faith alone. And in fact, if you read the story just before this, that's the exact same lesson that Jesus was trying to teach the scribes and the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders who were relying on their good works. They were relying on all these things to get to God. And Jesus says, no, that's not how you get to God. So in both cases, Jesus is trying to show that it's, it's not by works, it's not by special rite or birth or special uh, religious observances, but it's by faith. You've got to approach me. And so he's maturing this woman's faith. And I love that later on she calls out to him, just, she just says, Lord, help me. And then Jesus responds because she calls him Lord. She just says, Master. And she's set aside trying to approach him through the Jewish religion so God responds to her, so God, Jesus is using this to bring maturity to her faith. Now, I, I love this also because I think he's also maturing the disciples' faith. Remember, they were all Jewish by birth. They were all Israelite men. And so in their mind, uh, they probably would have struggled with Jesus coming to this woman and interacting with this woman. But Jesus is growing their faith as well. And he's going to show through this interaction that, hey, I didn't just come, for the, for the Israelites, for the Jews. That was my primary mission, but salvation is also going to be for the Gentiles. Now, this shouldn't have come as a surprise for them because we read this in Isaiah 42. The Old Testament says, This is my servant, speaking of the Messiah. I strengthen him. This is my chosen one. I delight in him. I have put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. Now, we're just going to stop right here. To the nations. This is speaking of the mission that salvation will be first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. But his mission right now is primarily for the Jews, but it also extends after his death to the Gentiles, and so Jesus is also preparing his disciples to see, oh wow, yeah, he came for our people, but he, he came for all the people, and they should not have been surprised by this, but they are. So we see that, um, that uh, this silence is part of that resistance, and it may be difficult for us, like we, we think about Jesus as the Messiah, even though most of us, I'm willing to bet 99% of us are Gentile by birth, Uh, We we don't think it's a big deal that she would call out his name, son of David. Um, But let me try to put it this way. So I was born Charles Turner, right? Uh, I've always been known as Charlie Turner. As far back as I can remember, I've been known as Charlie, except within, uh, well, when I was in big trouble, it was Charles Edward. uh, And and then I knew that it was too late. The spatula or the wooden spoon was coming. It was too late. Uh, So... my. (laughs) When I graduated college, I only had Charles Turner put on the degree. My mom's like, why didn't you put Charles Edward? And I thought, I thought well, if I heard Charles Edward Turner, I probably would run the opposite direction because I knew what was coming next. I just kind of flinched when I hear Charles Edward. Uh, so I was always known as Charlie Turner, uh, except within my family. My family knew me as Chuck. There was a special relationship there that there were barriers and walls that were broken down. It was like this special name, and it meant something special to me for people to call me Chuck. As I got to college, I had a few friends who started calling me Chuck, and that was okay because these were my close friends. And oftentimes I would introduce myself to people and be like, my name's Charlie, uh, some of my friends call me Chuck. Uh, and, and it was interesting because when someone who had just met me tried to call me Chuck, I'd be like, no, it's Charlie, right? You, don't, you haven't earned that right yet. Like you got to be in the inner circle, the circle of trust, right? you got to be inside there to call me by that name. Uh, now that I have a daughter, Charlie, I, I typically just go by Chuck because it's too confusing, even though she's E E I'm I-E. But I, uh, there was something special about being called Chuck. It meant something. It was a right that I, I felt like people had to earn to, because they knew me. And so Jesus is saying, no, no, uh, you're, not, you're not a part of that group, and you don't even have to become a part of that group to come to me. That's the beautiful thing is that you can approach just by faith, He wants us to understand that it's not about um, becoming something different, but it's about approaching him just by faith. Next, we're going to see that, that the disciples are going to recognize her persistence. The second half of verse 23 says, So his disciples approached him and urged him to send her away because she cries out after us. Now, When I first read this, I thought about the disciples, and I was like, okay, so uh, they're just wanting him to send her away, get rid of her. But then I read Jesus' reply in verse 24. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And I think what the disciples are really saying is, Jesus, this woman is not leaving until you do something. Like, heal her daughter and get rid of her, because she is not going away. And the reason I say that is because Jesus says, hey, I can't, I'm not, I'm, this is not my primary mission to the Gentiles. I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. That's where my miracles belong. That's where my power belongs. And so she's hearing this, and she hears that the disciples are kind of against her, and she's paying very close attention. Uh, the disciples recognize her persistence, and I believe Jesus understands her persistence. Jesus is not done developing her faith. And so he says this in verse 25 of, of Matthew, says, um, it says, but he came, she came and knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. Here she calls, calls him by his name, Lord, Master. She cries out for him to just, to just help her. Now, again, we've said that this is one of the only times that Jesus is outside the borders of Israel. And it's is difficult because we have to realize if Jesus had begun a massive healing ministry of the Gentiles, he would have been even more rejected by the Jews. They would have wanted nothing to do with him, and his primary mission to come for the salvation of the Jews, ministry to the Jews, would have been lost. And so he recognizes this, and he recognizes, man, I, I can't just start doing stuff. I can't just start doing this type of ministry, and it's difficult for us to understand, and I think it's it's easy for us to um, lose sight of what's really happening here, um, although his his earthly ministry was first for the Jew and then for the Gentile, we know that ultimately through his death and his resurrection that he brings salvation to all. But for now, he's trying to draw attention to this. He's trying to mature and develop this woman's faith so that she can see and understand this. It's her and understand this as well. She needs to understand where she belongs in relationship to God. And I love what happens next. She shows that she's listening intently to his word. She says, look, I know you weren't sent in search of my people, but I'm coming to search you out. I'm coming to search you out. Look at verse 25. She, she kneels before him, says, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Continuing on, Mark 7, verse 27. He said to her, allow the children to be satisfied first, because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, you're listening to this, and you're thinking, man, Jesus is harsh. This is hard. This is a hard thing that Jesus is saying to her. But she's listening. Look at what she says next. But she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She's listening. She is paying attention. And I think this is so important for us to understand. We have a great lesson on how to study God's word here. That we have to pay attention very closely to the words because it would have been very easy for her to hear and be offended right? How many of you being called a dog would not be a little bit offended? But she's paying attention. You see, there's two Greek words that Jesus could have used. One is the word dog, as in what the Jews would call all the Gentiles. They would call them dogs. And it was this idea of this dirty, mangy street dog that eats trash and runs wild. And that was one word, but Jesus uses a diminutive of that word that means house pet, puppy. It's a completely different picture It's a completely different picture, and she picks up on this. She picks up on this and says, okay, I get it. I know my place. I'm not one of the children. I don't belong at the table. I don't get first dibs. But even the puppies, even the pets get to eat the crumbs that the children drop. She's paying attention because Jesus has said, I've come first for the children. Let the children be satisfied first. And in her mind, she's thinking, okay, first, that means eventually it's my turn. Eventually, it's turned for my people. So she doesn't give up. She continues to persist. Jesus is drawing this faith out. Now, I love this this idea of the children at the table. Um, It's a picture of my dog Tex when we first got him. Uh, He was isn't that a good looking dog? Uh, I love this dog. He was great. He was a little puppy. And then as he got older, we started really working on training him. And he was so well behaved most of the time. Uh, we had trained him that when we would sit down at the table, he was supposed to go get in his crate. He wasn't allowed at the table. I didn't want one of those dogs that's like this, you know, head in lap, waiting for you to drop something. So he had to sit in his crate and he would wait till we were done eating and then he was allowed to get out of his crate. Um, and that worked great until this happened. Uh, We had children, Uh, not just one, not two, but three. So we had triplets, and mealtime began to look more and more like this. Uh, I love these kids. Today's their seventh birthday, so if you see them, wish them happy birthday. So parents, you know this look. You know that by the time you get to this point, you're lucky if half as much food gets in their mouth as on the floor. So Tex is not a dumb dog. He figures this out, and he realizes, hey, they're going to drop food. I'm going to get extra food. And so he would eventually make his way around the table and uh, uh, start eating. And then, you know, finally got to the point where it's just like he's just (laughs) at the table, and he knows he's going to get something when the kids drop it. Now, here's the thing. Uh, Day before Thanksgiving, Tex, almost 13 years old, we had to have him put to sleep. Really sad. Don't cry. Uh... So we had to have him put to sleep, and three days later, my wife's like, I'm having to run the vacuum every single day after every single meal, and we're trying to figure, like, what's going on, and we're like, the dog is dead, Uh, so there's no one to come and clean up the floor. I don't, come on, it's a funny story, so there's no one to come and lick up the floor, And this is what this woman is saying. She's saying, look, I'm not asking that you take bread away from the children. I'm asking for just a crumb because I believe that one crumb of your grace and your power is enough to expel that demon from my child. All I want is a crumb, Lord Jesus. And look at how Jesus responds to her. I love this. Then he told her, woman, your faith is great. Because of this reply, you may go. The demon has gone out of your child out of your daughter. And when she went back home, she found her child lying on the bed and the demon was gone. Jesus had been, dis- had been forming her faith. Uh, he's been using her faith. And I love that she doesn't get offended because here's the thing. Most of us get offended too easily by, by things that don't fit into our picture of God. And we look at that and we think, this is not the picture of Jesus that I like. This is not the picture of Jesus I like. I like this picture of Jesus. Uh, It's not actually Jesus, that's Kenny Loggins. Uh, But I love the picture of the tolerant, accepting, loving Jesus who's just there warm and fuzzy to welcome me. But that's not who Jesus is alone. He's also fully just. God is also a God of wrath. And let me tell you this, that the gospel, you may not like hearing that, you know what, you are not part, uh, you are, are not saved by your works, you may not like hearing that you are a sinner in need of salvation, but the gospel is not meant to flatter you, it is meant to save you from eternal destruction and death. Amen? And so we have to be careful that we don't become offended because Jesus doesn't fit our picture here because this woman's not offended. She sees it, she hears it, and her faith is developed her faith is grown. Her faith is stronger through this process. And finally, her faith is rewarded. Verse 28 and 29, Because of this reply you may go. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And I love that her faith is rewarded in this way because she gets what she's been pursuing Jesus for. Now let me say this. We don't always get what we're asking for. We need to understand that. That God is good, God is just, and God is loving. But just because we ask for it does not mean it's what he's going to give us. In fact, sometimes he's going to give us what we don't want because it's exactly what we need. And we have to be okay with that. But in this case, Jesus answers her requests. Her, her request and her daughter is healed. And she's rewarded for her faith. But do you know what the ultimate reward for her faith is? When she comes to Jesus she has an immature understanding of who Jesus is and how she should approach him and and when she leaves she has a fully developed mature believing faith and that is the ultimate reward of her persistence that her faith is developed her faith is matured and i love what first peter tells us in first peter 1 It says, You rejoice in this, though now for a short time you have had to struggle in various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, more valuable than gold, which perishes, though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the ultimate reward for our persistence in faith, our persistence in pursuing God, that we would have a mature faith. And yes, there are going to be times when we approach... God, and we say, God, I'm asking for this, and he's going to answer. But the ultimate reward that comes through those testing through times of of silence, that begins to be developed as we face adversity, the ultimate reward is the maturity of our faith. I love in Luke, Luke 11, verses 9 and 10, Jesus says, I say to you, Keep asking, and it will be given to you. Keep searching, and you will find. Keep knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who searches finds. And the one who knocks, uh, to the one who knocks, the door will be open. So I want to encourage you this morning. I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord. I know there, is, there are some of you here this morning. You've been trying to approach Jesus the wrong way. You've thought for your whole life that I could approach Jesus by by keeping a set of rules, by doing enough good things, by attending church enough, by giving enough, by volunteering enough. And let me tell you, Jesus makes it absolutely clear that that is not how we approach him. We must approach him by faith and faith alone. And if that is you here this morning, I hope you'll learn from this woman's story and you will approach Jesus by faith and begin a relationship with him, trusting that he died on the cross for your sins to save you and that you can walk in a new life when you do that. Others of you this, this morning, you're here and you're experiencing a time of silence. And I want to remind you that God is perhaps using that time of silence to test and to develop your faith. Will you persist in pursuing him? Will you persist in listening for his voice so that he can be most glorified in the process? Maybe you're here this morning and you're going through a number of obstacles in your faith. You're facing sickness. You're facing cancer. Your marriage is unhealthy. Your work relationships are unhealthy. You're stressed out about the things that you have at school. You're facing all of these obstacles. It feels like everyone is against you. It feels like your circumstances are against you. Let me encourage you this morning to persist by faith. Allow those obstacles to develop and not destroy your faith. Watch as your faith is drawn out and matured just as this woman's faith is matured, and look forward in hope to the reward of a mature faith that we just read about is greater and more valuable than gold. Greater and more valuable than gold. And one last thing, that it didn't hit me until this morning as I thought about this. Not only was this woman's faith developed, but it was the disciples' faith as well that was developed. You see, Jesus was interacting with this woman And he had a specific purpose for being there and interacting with her, but it also impacted the faith of the people around her. And I want to encourage you this morning that you may be going through something and it's tempting to think only about yourself. But as you go through these things, as you continue to persist in faith, I want to encourage you to think about how your perseverance and your persistence by faith might have an impact on someone else around you. Because Jesus used this as an example to soften the racial bias that the disciples had against people outside of Israel, to show them that, hey, someday salvation is going to be for all people. And he may be doing the exact same thing through you. As he develops your faith, he may be impacting the people around you. So take these opportunities. Take those opportunities to be bold and to persist in your faith, not only because God is working in you, but because God is also working working through you. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we are grateful that you are patient with us, that you love us enough to desire a persistent faith. that